Welcome to the podcast of Fairmount Presbyterian Church in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, where we feature our worship sermons. Listen again to past sermons from home, when you are traveling, or wherever you are. Listen in if you need a moment of reflection, inspiration, and love. Our second scripture reading today comes from Daniel. Uh, We start in the first chapter, verses 8 to 21, but let me set the scene a little bit. Jerusalem has just been captured by the Babylonian Empire, and some Israelites, including Daniel and his friends, have been exiled off to Babylon and pressed into service in the king's palace. Listen as Daniel navigates life as a Jew in a foreign land. Daniel decided that he wouldn't pollute himself with the king's rations or the royal wine, and he appealed to the chief official in hopes that he wouldn't have to do so. Now, God had established loyalty, faithful loyalty, between Daniel and the chief official, but the chief official said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my master, the king who has mandated what you are to eat and drink. What will happen if he sees your faces looking thinner than the other men in your group? The king will have my head because of you. So Daniel spoke to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Misael, and Azariah. Why not test your servants for 10 days? You could give us a diet of vegetables to eat and water to drink, then compare our appearance to the appearance of the young men who eat the king's food. Then deal with your servants according to what you see. The guard decided to go along with their plan and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked better and healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food. So the guard kept taking away their rations and wine they were supposed to drink and gave them vegetables instead. And God gave knowledge, mastery of all wisdom and literature to these four men. Daniel himself gained understanding of every type of vision and dream. When the time came to review the young man as the king had ordered, the chief official brought them before Nebuchadnezzar. When the king spoke with them, he found no one as good as Daniel, Misael, and Azariah, and Hananiah. So they took their place in the king's service. Whenever the king consulted them about any aspect of wisdom and understanding, he found them head and shoulders above all the dream interpreters and enchanters in his entire kingdom. And Daniel stayed in the king's service until the first year of King Cyrus. For the word of God in Scripture for the word of God around us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Well, I met God in a trailer park in Tennessee in the summer of 99. You know that song, right? That country music song? I met God in a trailer park in the summer of 99. Really? Nobody is? I'm just kidding. I just made that up. It's not a song. But it sounds like it could be a country music song, right? No, I actually met God in a trailer park in Tennessee in the summer of 99. Let me tell you the short version of the story. That summer, my youth pastor, Tom, cajoled me into signing up for the junior high mission trip. 
It was a kind of mission trip where four or 500 tweens and teens descend on a town for a week and are sent out in small crews to paint and make minor repairs on homes. Our destination was Shady Grove, Tennessee, a name that hardly fit the poor rural town between Nashville and Knoxville. The first morning of that week, I found myself standing on the landing outside the only door to this small trailer home we had been assigned to rehab. We knocked on the door and anxiously awaited an answer. I didn't have the slightest clue what to expect, but I'm confident in saying that I never could have anticipated what was about to happen to me. The door swung open, and there was Ruth, a gaunt woman, probably on the back end of her 70s, wild, untamed, white hair, and a tightly packed wad of chewing tobacco bulging from her bottom lip. She was, quite frankly, a caricature of what this suburban Chicago kid thought that Tennesseans would be like. But I'll leave it there because I don't want to offend any Southerners, including my wife who's from Tennessee and is listening right now. Anyway, we had intended to briefly introduce ourselves and then get to work on the house. We had a lot to do to transform her trailer the way we wanted to that week. But before we could even open our mouths, Ruth invited us into her home. She led us into her living room and slowly got down on her, her knees and asked us to join her, to kneel around her and hold hands, and she began to pray and pray, and pray. It was like an hour. Nevertheless, it was a prayer that began to change everything for me. Because kneeling next to Ruth at 12 years old in a trailer park in Shady Grove, Tennessee, I met God. God came to life. God became a real presence to me for the first time ever. And so then and there I decided to give up the dreams that I'd had for my life and commit my life to God. And so at the end of the week, I returned home and promptly told my parents, Mom, Dad, I know that I've always told you that despite my four foot ten stature, I will one day play professional basketball. <laughs> this past week, I found out that's not what God wants for me. God is calling me to be a pastor. And that is the story of how I met God in Tennessee in a trailer park in the summer of 99. We continue our year-long focus on presence, now, here, this. And these next few Sundays will center on what it means to be fully present to God. And we'll be studying the book of Daniel because I believe that Daniel has a lot of good lessons to teach us about how we can become more present to God. Daniel models presence to God as opening ourselves up to God's call for us, to the ways that God can work through us. Daniel shows us that our presence to God is also about our worship. And Daniel demonstrates that our presence to God begins and ends with us believing that God was present for us first. Today we begin in chapter 1 of Daniel's story, but 
First, let me give a little bit more introduction to this complex and somewhat confusing book of the Bible. The narrative uh, centers uh, around uh, the time period of the Israelites' exile and the Jewish diaspora after, and most of it centers on Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon who conquered Jerusalem and uh, ruled during their golden age. But other kings from later empires are also mentioned in Daniel's story, like Darius, the king of the Medes, and Cyrus, the king of the Persian Empire. And most scholars agree that there are also references to the Hellenistic kings who come hundreds of years later. Now, it's not important that you follow all of that history, all the dates and names of kings and empires In fact, many scholars don't believe that Daniel is intended to be a precise historical record of those years, but rather a collection of folkloric tales meant to instruct Jews on how to live faithfully under foreign rule. And in my mind, perhaps the most important theme in Daniel is the resistance of the empire's attempts to dominate and assimilate. For hundreds of years, Through the exile and for generations after, the Jewish people were under the rule of many other empires. And every single one of them did things to strip Jews of their identity as God's people. Daniel's story was meant to teach those Jews how to remain present to God in the face of these pressures. And although we live in a very different context today, This book still has a lot to teach us about how to become more present to God in a culture that is constantly trying to pull us in other directions. So, now that we have some background, let's focus in on this part of the story in chapter 1. Daniel and his three friends, along with many other Jews, have been taken from their homes in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon to serve in the king's palace. And remember how I said this story is about assimilation, right? Well, they're taken from their homes, their community, their place of worship, and brought to this foreign land where they're forced to learn to speak the language of the empire, forced to eat the king's food, and they're stripped of their Hebrew names and given Persian names instead. But Daniel resists. It says that he decided he wouldn't pollute himself with the king's food. This is an act of nonviolent resistance, a protest against assimilation. For Daniel, to remain present to God meant maintaining his Jewish identity, even in the face of this adversity. And because Daniel was fully present to God, God's power and presence became apparent in Daniel. God was working through Daniel to do amazing things in Babylon. Verse 17, God gave knowledge, mastery of all literature and wisdom to these four men. Daniel himself gained understanding of every type of vision and dream. It was Daniel's willingness to open himself up and allow God to work through him that makes this story so remarkable. And if we read ahead to chapter 2, we begin to see the first fruits of God's work in Daniel. When Daniel saves the lives of his friends and many others by interpreting the king's dream. 
Now, I'll be honest that at the start of the week when I first started studying uh, this text again, I was thinking, you know, I should tell my mission trip story because I'm kind of like Daniel. I came home from that mission trip and I said, God, I'm here. I belong to you. Take my life and use me. Use me to reveal your presence to others. You know, I was feeling pretty good about myself, pretty self-righteous. <laughs> but then I read the story again, and I started to realize I'm not Daniel. Actually, Ruth was Daniel. Ruth, the woman I met on the mission trip all those years ago, she had been Daniel for me. It was Ruth who had been so faithful, so very present to God that God's presence was revealed to me through her. And so then I started to wonder, who am I? Who do I identify with in this story? And so I read the story again, and suddenly I began to notice a character in the story who I had hardly paid any attention to before. Ashpenaz, the king's chief official, his chief of staff, so to speak. Ashpenaz was the person who Daniel convinced to stop serving him and his friends the king's meat and wine and instead give them only vegetables and water. Now, Ashpenaz's initial reaction to Daniel's request is understandable. He says, I'm afraid of the king who has mandated what you're to eat and drink, what will happen if he sees you looking thinner? The king will have my head. But in the end, Ashpenaz allows it. And there's no rational explanation for this, no logical reason why he would say yes to Daniel because he's risking his life. So why? Why does he do it? Well, one way to look at it is that Ashpenaz admires Daniel. He respects Daniel's courage and his commitment to his God, and so his acquiescence to Daniel's plea for a vegetarian diet is at least an act of compassion or perhaps even an act of solidarity with a marginalized people who are being oppressed and trying to hold on to their identity. But another key to understanding Ashpenaz's motive comes in verse 9 which reads, God has established faithful loyalty between Daniel and the chief official. That phrase, faithful loyalty, comes from the Hebrew word hesed. Maybe you've heard it. It's often translated as mercy. Ashpenaz has mercy upon Daniel, and it moves him to risk everything. But this mercy is much more than just an altruistic benevolence. It's a divine mercy. Listen again to verse 9. Now, God had established hesed, faithful loyalty between Daniel and the chief official. This mercy comes from God. And so Ashpenaz, probably without even realizing it, has become present enough to the God of Daniel that God works through him. And so as I read this text again, it hit me, I am Ashpenaz. 
I was this privileged kid from the northern suburbs of Chicago who went on a mission trip to a trailer park in a poor backwater town in Tennessee with no intention of giving up my life as I knew it. No real awareness of God's presence in my life, and yet somehow, because of my Daniel, because of Ruth, God's hesed, God's mercy filled me. And God began to work through me. Look, we are not all called to be like Daniel or Ashpenaz, but we are all called. We are all able to become present enough to God that God can work through us. Sometimes, like Daniel, we may be very intentionally present to God, very aware of God's power at work within us. Other times, like Ashpenaz, we might be somewhat clueless, unaware of God's presence around us and within us. But either way, God can still use us to do something spectacular. When we are present to God, when we are connected to the vine, we are capable of things far beyond all that we could ask or imagine by God's power at work within us. So this week, I invite you to reflect on it a little bit, to reflect on your presence to God and God's presence in you. This week, ask yourself, how is God already working through me? Maybe in ways that I'm not yet even aware. Ask a friend, how is God working through you, friend? And how do you see God working through me? And ask God, How can I become more present to you, God? I invite you to wonder about those questions this week and then listen carefully for answers. But when you get those answers, don't say, I didn't warn you. Warn you that it might cause you to give up the dreams that you think you have for your life to make room for the dreams that God has for you. Amen. We thank you for listening to a worship episode from Fairmount Presbyterian Church. Revisit this podcast site weekly for new worship episodes. Have a beautiful and blessed day.